Hi, ABC Church family. My name's Candy, and I'm the Care Ministry Director here at ABC, and I am so happy to have you here at ABC. Welcome to church, everybody. I have a couple announcements that I wanna make. First of all, I wanna talk about, we've got a lot of volunteers and staff that work so diligently to make sure that nobody just slips through the cracks here at ABC. There's a place for everybody to find their ministry and to work and to be a part, and we just wanna welcome you into the active family of ABC. And so to do that, one of the first steps is to join the Connections class, which starts January 23rd. And Lori, you can contact Lori at laurie at abcchurch.org or go online and um, register for that. And in that, you'll just get to learn all about ABC, who we are, what we believe in, what our core beliefs are. Um, and you'll also get a chance to meet the staff, the pastors and some of the staff and other people that are just like you looking for a place to jump in and belong. So we wanna make sure that you try to come to that. And then secondly, we have divorce care coming up on January 24th. And that's for people that are going through either a separation or a divorce. We wanna come alongside you and support you it's a great place to learn um, tools and um, just some skills to get you through a very, very difficult time and su provide a support group for you so you're not alone walking through that. And Grief Share starts on February 10th. If you or somebody you know has lost somebody that's significant, we want to truly invite you to come. There's so much healing that takes place in that class. Uh, once again, go online, stop at the Connections booth, but um, there's a place for you there, and so we want to encourage you to do that. Next, I want to talk about something that's really dear to my heart, and that's Celebrate Recovery. Let's just take a minute and watch this clip on Brooke Bateman. Hi, my name is Brooke, and I'm so honored to be here with you. And I just wanted to invite you for a special night of sharing how Celebrate Recovery has helped me through my journey of healing. Um, I grew up with deaf parents, and American Sign Language was my first language, and I'm a missionary serving in Romania with the deaf. And I'm also a birth mom, and God has taking me through a great journey of healing through CR. And um, I just would love to share more about my story with you. And I hope you can come. Thanks. I just want you to know Brooke Bateman is an awesome young lady and God really has his hand on her and is using her in big ways. But the thing that I'm really excited about is this is our opportunity to blend the missions department with ABC because Brooke Bateman is one of our ABC missionaries and she actually came to ABC because of our missions program, went through Celebrate Recovery, God used this ministry to put her together again and now she's serving God in my mighty, miraculous ways. So we want to invite you to come. There's going to be tri-tip sandwiches, and we're expecting over 100 people. So please join us for this wonderful evening. I just want to say thank you so much for coming to ABC again, and enjoy the rest of the service. Hi, ABC family. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Here we are, New Year new preaching series. We're diving in this morning to the book of Matthew. We're going to work our way through it. And just to give you a little context of kind of the pathway forward here, we're going to spend the next several weeks preaching through 
uh, the first four chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. That'll take us right up to Easter. And then after Easter celebration, we'll dive in in chapters five and six, the Sermon on the Mount. That will take us through the spring into the summer. And we're just gonna dive in and see what the Lord has for us as a church here in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me ask, are, are any of you reading an annual reading plan or did you start a Bible reading plan here earlier this month that has you already reading through the Gospel of Matthew? Uh, the plan that I started back on January 1st has me reading Matthew simultaneously with a few other books and it's just been rich reading through the Gospel of Matthew and in anticipation of this new preaching series. So I just wanna exhort you at home to, to lean in and to make it a habit to be reading your way through this, this gospel as we preach our way through it. Uh, it'll make it richer, it'll make it deeper, it'll be amazing. So our goal is to equip you to read and understand and, and to feed yourself at home by reading God's word. And Sunday is really just uh, the icing on the cake, if you will, of that. So that's our hope and our prayer. So open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter one. We're going to dive right in here with Matthew chapter one, and he starts off with a genealogy. And as you, know, as you turn to the first chapter of Matthew, let me ask, have, have any of you ever signed up for Ancestry.com, um, done a DNA check and figured out who your people are? I haven't, um, but I am very proud of my Norwegian heritage. In fact, back in 2018, my wife Lisa and I had the privilege of going over to Norway with my sister and my mom and my dad. We went to the little town of Ota and we got to see some cousins that I'd never met before, got to walk the land, see the little house into which my grandfather was born and in which he lived until he was five years old when they picked up from Norway and came over to America and settled up in North Dakota. So knowing what I know about Norwegians and the Vikings, I probably have a pretty colorful ancestry. Those Vikings really got around. So, but here's my question. This ancestry thing, how does it work? Like how far back can we go? Like if I did it and I went as far back as I could and you did it and we went as far back as we could on your end, would we find that we're actually just relatives? Like, is it possible that we are both relatives of Noah, you know, the guy that built the boat and survived the flood? I think logically we would have to be, right? Because it was only those eight people that survived that flood. Anyway, I'm, I digress. Um, the, the book of Matthew has a very specific purpose. He starts with a genealogy and he, and he lists the ancestry just the way he does for a purpose. And we get a hint of what he's doing even in verse 3. So I'm going to read just the first three verses here of Matthew. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. By Tamar. So he... he does something very Jewish by starting with a genealogy because that is essential to understanding who this Christ is. He needs to come from a certain line of people, so that is very Jewish. But he also departs from the Jewish norm and he lists a number of women. Specifically, he starts here with Tamar. And you need to know the story of Tamar. If you don't, let me tell you a little bit about her. 
Judah, one of Joseph's sweet little brothers that sold him into slavery in Egypt, um, Judah's firstborn son was Ur, and Ur married Tamar. And yet Ur was wicked, so the Lord put him to death, literally. That's what it says. Uh, Genesis 38, I think it's verse 7, it says, And Ur was wicked, so the Lord put him to death. And now Tamar is a widow. And it was customary back then for her brother-in-law, the next youngest brother in the line from the same family, to take her as a wife and to raise up for his dead brother um, children who would carry on his name. So that brother's name was Onan, and Onan was sneaky. He, he took her as wife, and yet he, I'll spare you the details, but he was sneaky and he refused to raise children by her. This action was considered wicked by the Lord, so the Lord put him to death. So now Tamar is widowed twice. So Judah, her, her father-in-law says, just wait, I have one younger son, he's too young to be married yet, wait till he's old enough and then I'll give him to you for marriage. And she waits, and she waits, and she waits. And Judah ended up never giving that son of his to her. Why? Because he saw that the first two sons that were married to her died, and I think he blamed her, and he decided not to do that. So what does she do? She changes her clothes, puts on a veil, sits at the city gate, and waits. And along comes Judah, her father-in-law, and he sees her, sees her in a veil, thinks that she's a prostitute, and so he solicits her quality dude, right? This is messy. So um, Judah approaches her and says, hey, I want to lie with you. And she says, well, what will you give me as a price? And he says, I'll send you a young goat. And she says, that seems fair. What are you going to give me as a pledge until you send the young goat? And they decide that it would be his signet ring. So he hands his ring to her and they have their moment and he goes on with his business. Well, three months later, Judah finds out that his daughter-in-law is pregnant, presumably by immorality, right? And he demands to know who the father is of this child. And according to the law, she needed to be stoned to death. So on the way to her execution, she pulls out the ring and says, I am pregnant by the man whose ring this is. And there it was. Judah's ring. He was stuck. He was caught. Quality guy, right? And Jerry Springer's show has nothing on what we find in the Old Testament. I tell you what, you just read these scriptures and it's, it reads as grisly as anything that you find today. Turns out she's pregnant with twins and the story goes on. And you can read that for yourself in Genesis chapter 38. So that's the backstory. So now imagine yourself reading Matthew's Gospel, and you read this, and Matthew includes Tamar in this genealogy. And as a Jew, you think to yourself, Matthew, shh, don't mention Tamar. We're not proud of her. We don't like that. And that's the checkered past of his, Israel's history, the misfit society from which Jesus enters humanity. He came not to heal the healthy, but the sick. He came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. And with this crooked genealogy, with this 
A family tree that's been spotted with immorality. Matthew, the first gospel of the New Testament, sets the stage. So maybe you're here today and you have a checkered past as well. Maybe you have a crazy uncle like Judah. Maybe you've got some scandalous stories in your own past or in the past of your family. So do I. But because of who Jesus is, you are welcome here. Because of who Jesus is, even if your ancestry profile is kind of messy, you can know that you will be accepted. The profile of Jesus is messy. You see, Matthew, the one who wrote this gospel, he was a, he was a thief. He was a nobody, really. He was climbing the political ladder. He, he was clawing desperately for some sort of significance. He was desperately trying to make his father proud of him. And he was a tax collector. He had sold out to the Roman government and decided to exact tax from his own people and give it to the Romans. He had fake friends, pretentious parties. He was hanging out with scandalous folks and he was in the middle of an identity crisis until one day Jesus approached him, looked him in the eye and said, Levi, Matthew, follow me. And suddenly, Matthew's life made sense. He left it all to follow Jesus because what Jesus was offering was, was real. It was genuine. You see, Matthew connects the twisted history of Israel to our own twisted story. So as we dive in and read this entire genealogy, let's just pause and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we praise you that you are a God who came to dwell as God with us, Emmanuel. And that required human genealogy. And we thank you that you're a God whose genealogy normalizes the messiness of life for us. Uh, you certainly can identify with us in our sin and in the mess of our lives. And we praise you um, that you came to save us from that mess, to wipe away the, the, the redness of our sin and to make us whiter than snow through faith. So Lord, would you give us ears to hear and would you help us to understand even this genealogy, why it's here and what it is that you wanna teach us today as we read through it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna dive in here and we're gonna read the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter one. So we'll pick it up, having read uh, through verse 3, we'll pick it up right at verse 3 again. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, we just heard the backstory of Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. So here we are, second woman mentioned in this genealogy, and that is a woman named Rahab. Now, if you remember from reading through the Old Testament, Rahab was a prostitute who lived in the city of Jericho. So when Joshua sent two spies to spy out the promised land before they conquered it, they entered the promised land through the city of Jericho. And while they were there, 
It became known that they were there, and the people who lived in that city wanted to hunt them down. But Rahab welcomed them into her home and hid them. And because of her kindness to these two spies, they promised that when they came to conquer Jericho, they would preserve her and her family. So you read the book of Joshua, and you find that when Israel marched around the walls, the walls came tumbling down. They devoted the entire city of Jericho to destruction, Rahab and her family were preserved. And it says in Joshua 6 that Rahab has lived in the nation of Israel to this day. So she was folded in and apparently she becomes one in the line of the Christ here as well. So second messy story in Jesus' line. Continuing on in verse 5, Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Now, if you were here for our Advent series, you remember that Ruth was a woman from the country of Moab, which was one of those people who were God's enemies. And according to the law, they were to never enter the assembly of the Lord. But God saw fit to fold her in too, because she followed the one true God. She rejected the idols and the gods of her country and dedicated herself to following Naomi and to faithfulness to the God that Naomi served, which is the one true God. And so we have Ruth in the line of Jesus as well. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, fourth woman listed in this, in this lineage, in this genealogy. And she's not even named. Uh, the wife of Uriah, that tells you something. She was somebody else's wife. Her name was Bathsheba. And she was the one that David, as he's walking around in the uh, roof of his palace, looking around at his kingdom when he should have been at war leading his troops, but he stayed home, he looks down and sees Bathsheba, a beautiful woman, bathing. And he sends for her and the soldiers bring her over and he ends up lying with her, committing adultery with her, impregnating her, and in an effort to cover it up, he brings Uriah, her husband, back from war, hoping that he would lie with her and that that could explain why she's pregnant. He's an upright guy, does not go to his own house, sleeps at the foot of the king's palace door, and so when David realized that he could not cover up his sin in that way, he conveniently sends Uriah back to the battle and makes it look as though he was killed in battle when he actually was executed. So there we have it, adultery and murder folded right in through the actions of King David. Verse 7. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, 
and Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, and Abihud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Elihud, and Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So there we have it. We've got a genealogy riddled with scandal. Woman after woman who were of um, irreputable repute and David and all of the sin that's folded into that. And that is the beginning of the book of Matthew. And that even highlights the deportation into Babylon. You see, the, the religious leaders of the day and the people of Israel were just idolatrous. They were turning away from God. And so God sent them into captivity in Babylon, slavery, domination, anything but freedom. That's part of the story, too. And that's actually critical that it's the New Testament begins in this way. The genealogy is really more than a list of names. It's a punch in the gut to the religious elite of the day. Matthew is challenging the religious elite. He, one who has sold out to the Romans, looks them in the eye as he writes this, and it's as though he's saying, I can see why you look down on me from way up there with all your piety and your religiosity and your self-reliance and your self-righteousness, your fancy family names. The bottom line is this, church, the genealogy of Christ is the inspired, profitable, convicting word of God. Listen to the Westminster Catechism. Chapter 1 ends in this way. It says, The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaking in the Scriptures. This is the Word of God. Every verse inspired every verse profitable. As we proceed through this series, let's dig deep, church. Let's lean in. Let's look below the surface of these words and of these verses. Let's ask what the intent of the author is. Why is this included? And together, let's learn. Let's glean everything possible from God's Word as the Holy Spirit illuminates His Word to us. So by way of introduction of this book, by way of introduction of this preaching series, we have five simple questions that we want to seek answers to that will help us understand what it is we're diving into here in this first gospel of the New Testament. So the first question is, who is Matthew? We're going to learn a lot from Matthew here over the coming months. And along the way, as we walk through this gospel, to put it simply, Matthew was a tax collector. Like I mentioned earlier, he was a, he was a Jewish person who's ideally writing to a primarily Jewish audience, but he's one who has really turned his back on his own people. He's, he's sold himself out to the Roman government. And why? For the sake of a prophet. 
As a tax collector, he was obligated to give the Roman government the percentage that they asked for, but he could ask the percentage that he wanted from his people and keep the rest. And so here he was, for his own personal profitable gain, sold, sold himself out to the Roman government. He hung out with a taboo crowd. He hung out with unrighteous people. But ultimately, at one point in his life, he gave it all up and he followed Jesus. And that is why he's writing this book. Which brings us to the next question, like when was this gospel written? You may have heard uh, the term synoptic gospels. That, that is a term that characterizes the three gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are primarily synonymous with one another. They roughly cover the same sequence of events from the life of Christ. Scholars agree that Mark was likely written first and Peter was his primary witness. That was written somewhere in the 60s, roughly contemporary with when Paul was writing many of his New Testament letters. And the Gospel of Mark, being primary, was one of the source materials that Matthew and Luke relied upon along with their own eyewitness accounts and their own research. So these three Gospels cover roughly the same thing and what we're finding is that the Gospel of Matthew, because it relied on Mark, was probably written some 30 to 60 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So certainly before the turn of the century. So that's roughly the timeline that we're looking at here. The timing of the circulation uh, of this gospel is important to our understanding of canon, to our understanding of how the scriptures were put together, how we get our Bible. So the question is, why is Matthew included in the scripture? How did we get our Bible? The biblical canon is actually a fascinating study that is spiritually inspired movement of God. There was never, in fact, a council of people or churches that got together to agree on this. Um, they, they didn't pick and choose which would be included and which not. The most powerful argument here is that there's a lack of controversy surrounding the canon. For centuries, the universal and global church of various expressions of faith and tradition has not argued about which of the sacred writings ought to be considered as inspired, God-breathed scripture. Consider the dozens of other subjects for debate, division, and argument in the churches. We have no shortage of things that divide us, but the fact that the biblical canon has rarely been a point of division and debate, that's nothing shy of miraculous. In fact, it's one of divine intervention. Now think about it. The Holy Spirit is the one that inspired the human authors of each of the individual books, resulting in divinely authoritative writings. The Holy Spirit, one person in the Trinity, is inspiring each author in such a way that he does not overrule their personality, but uses their unique personality and their unique experience to write out and reveal the will of God. And it's that same Holy Spirit that inspired these authors, who also indwells every member of the true church. 
And since the Spirit knows his own voice, the Spirit-filled people of God recognize these books which are inspired by that same voice, and in so doing, they simply recognize the authority that God himself has put into these books as opposed to the others. Divine superintending. It's awesome. And the unanimous conviction produced in the hearts by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, who unremittingly continued the triple miracle for the benefit of the people of God, the production of the sacred books, the formation of the canon, and the preservation of the scripture through the centuries. That's Rene Paquet. Another scholar, Michael Kruger, says this, the biblical canon is the collection of scriptural books that God has given his corporate people, which are distinguished by their divine qualities, reception by the collective body, and their apostolic connection, either by authorship or association. So therefore, we trust the gospel of Matthew. Which brings us to our fourth question, why should we trust it? Matthew was an apostle. He actually walked this earth with Jesus. He has been with Jesus. His writings were circulating within his own lifetime, and there was universal reception among the other apostles and young churches. There's no contemporary contradictions factually, spiritually, or historically. And Matthew therefore appropriately lands as the opening account for our New Testament, or the new testimony of God's people the story of Jesus connected to the former story of God's nation, Israel. Which brings us to the fifth question. What's Matthew's intent? See, Matthew is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New. He's beginning by connecting the birth of Jesus to the narrative of Israel. Which is why he uses the genealogy to do that, to show that there is a... Uh, connection of DNA, if you will, that strings between these Old Testament saints and the one who is Jesus the Christ. In the first four chapters alone of the Gospel of Matthew, there are ten Old Testament references connecting Christ to the prophets, to the law, and to the poetry of Israel. Matthew has a unique understanding of the kingdom of God in contrast to the kingdom of this world. It seems as though he's keenly aware of the kingdom of darkness and the spiritual activity in Israel's midst. Perhaps that's because of the crowd he hung out with. He hung out with misfits. He hung out with the unsavory folks. And that's the perspective that he brings in to the stories that he collects as he writes his gospel. You see, Matthew connects the twisted story of Israel together with our own twisted stories. So the question is, are you an elitist? Do you tend toward self-righteousness? Are you, are you relying on yourself and, the, and your ability to live a clean life rather than the righteousness of Christ? If that's you, and I tend in that direction from time to time, the, the book of Matthew is gonna help us check ourselves. He's going to show us that we don't have righteousness that we bring to the table apart from Jesus. Are we too good to hang out with a thief or a prostitute or a pagan, an idol worshiper, an adulterer, or maybe somebody who needs to go to CR? Are we too good for that? Then we may just be too good for Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew is going to help us sort that out. Do you have a checkered past? Do you have a twisted story? You'll fit right in. 
Are you exhausted trying to cover up or make up for your mess? Listen to what Jesus says to you and I in that reality of our lives. From Matthew chapter 11, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that is the invitation. That's Jesus' invitation to us. As we are prone to strive on in our own strength to make ourselves look good enough to be acceptable, he says, no, just, just come to me. If you trust me by faith, I accept you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So church, let's lean in together as we read and study our way through this book of Matthew. Let's glean all that we can out of this gospel. Let's read it. Let's study it. Let's discuss it. Let's pray through it. Ideally, when you come on Sunday and we preach our way through a section of this book, it will be like the dessert at the end of a feast that you've already had as you have read and meditated on and prayed your way through the Gospel of Matthew. We want to equip you to dig in and to teach yourself, to feed yourself. And we want to help you do that. We want to equip you with tools. We want to help you with reading plans. And we want to feed you as we preach our way through this. We want you to become equipped to share it with others along the way. That's our heart. That's God's heart. That's what he's doing in this world. That's how he builds his church. He uses the truth of his word proclaimed by the average folks, you and me, to the dark corners of the world around. And as his word gets traction in our lives and through our lives and other people's lives, his church is built. So won't you join us this year as we preach our way through the Gospel of Matthew? It's a sweet invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sufficiency of your word. We thank you for the inspiration that you used through your Holy Spirit to inspire Levi, uh, the man we call Matthew, to give up his twisted ways as a tax collector and to follow you. Thank you for the radical way that you changed his life and, and through his witness, thank you for the ways that you will change our lives as we encounter you by reading and praying and meditating on these truths recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. So Lord, have your way amongst us here at ABC in the year 22. As we open and read your word, would these words be the words of life to us? And would that same spirit that inspired these words cause these words to land on our hearts uh, with a recognition for what they are, the very authoritative, living word of God. Would you bless the reading and the teaching and the preaching of your word this year at ABC? We submit ourselves under your lordship toward these ends. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, church. So glad you tuned in. Have a good day, a good year, and we'd love to have you come back. Come on back. We want to walk with you. We want to learn with you. We want to grow with you. This might be the year that it's time to come back to ABC. We're so glad you tuned in. We look forward to seeing you in person here on campus. So long.